Would you welcome to this podium from the East Wind family, Pastor Joel Urshan. God bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Oh, give praise unto the Lord, all ye people of the Lord. Come before His presence with singing. Come before His presence with thanksgiving in your heart. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. Oh, how many know that He's worthy to be praised today? From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. His name is to be praised. What a delight it is to be here today in the house of the Lord. Aren't you enjoying the presence of God this morning? God has been so good to us. He has been so good to us. And it's just a joy to be here with our dear friends, the Myers family. And uh, they have just been friends for so many years. And uh, we love every opportunity we have to be able to come to Palm Bay, Florida, to be here with the East Wind family. And I, I just have to say, this Winds Conference, my goodness, this Winds Conference was, it was just unlike anything that, that I've ever seen. The power of the preaching, the singing, the worship, the hunger. People just wanted to be here. You know, I added it up, Pastor, and, and from Wednesday to Saturday, we had almost a cumulative pretty near 24 hours of church and and nobody wanted to leave they just wanted to, to continue on it reminded me of the scripture that says that they serve the lord by night and day in the house of the lord how many enjoy serving him night and day in the house of the lord it, we just we we received the finest of the wheat and it was just a beautiful week. And I want to say thank you to Pastor and Sister Myers and to this magnificent team of people who covered every detail and looked after. You had people coming from all over the world in here this week to receive of what the Lord was doing. And they met such beautiful hospitality and such warmth and graciousness. And uh, I just, I tell you, it was just wonderful to be here. And uh, we thank God for each and every one of you. I was receiving text messages from people saying, uh, you know, we're, we're hundreds of miles away watching online, but we feel like we're sitting in the sanctuary with everybody. They said we're weeping right here in our living room, praising God with you. That's what you want to hear. Let the gospel go forth. Let the gospel be published to whosoever will. To whosoever will. So it was a wonderful week, and we just love you all and love Pastor and First Lady uh, Myers and their family, Gregory, Luke, Sophia, and uh, it's wonderful to be here with Brother Landon Gore, wonderful evangelist, wonderful preacher of the gospel. We enjoyed his ministry so much at Winds Conference and are so thankful that he has stayed over to be here. And uh, Bishop and Dr. Myers, we love you. God bless you so much. We just honor. There's nobody in the world like Bishop and Dr. Myers. And East Wind is so blessed, so blessed to have them to have laid such a strong foundation and to, to have their voice in this generation. What a beautiful thing. And uh, just a great delight. I'm so thankful that my family is here, uh, my beautiful wife and my uh, lovely daughter and, and granddaughter. And my second daughter was here with us over the weekend, my son-in-law, Brother Zach Glasgow. And, uh, we're just glad to be here. 
with you all. We'll go to the word of the Lord uh, this afternoon and we'll turn your attention to the book of Hosea chapter 8. The book of Hosea chapter 8 and I'm going to read to you uh, beginning with the second verse of the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 8 beginning with verse 2. I too want to say a great big God bless you to brother uh, Jeff Walfall and Brother Kevin Howard, God bless you all so much. Thank you so much for the wonderful anointed worship. My goodness, it was so refreshing this week. All of the preaching, all of the singing, and it just you just couldn't get enough of it. Hosea chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. And we're going to read through to verse 4 and then verse 7. The word of the Lord says this, Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Verse number 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk. The bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. And I want to concentrate our attention on verse 3, if we may. It says this, Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. And I would like to preach to you about that. And, and I'll do so with this title, The Good Thing. The Good Thing. Praise God. Could we lift our voices together and ask God to bless His Word today? Lord, every person that is in this place, You have designed it that they would be here. And I pray that Your Word would have free course. Let the Word of God go forth with the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that as Your Word goes forth, it will go whither to ever You send it. Lord, help us to receive it. Let it be rooted and grounded in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that we would hear it, that we would do it, that we would obey it, apply it. In the precious name of Jesus, let your word enrich us today, we pray. Refresh us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I want to talk to you today about uh, the concept of marriage a little bit. I know that that may not be everybody's uh, experience in life thus far. Maybe you are or maybe you are not married. Uh, but nonetheless, the principles of the institution of marriage are such that they are a blessing to the people of God. They truly do teach us about the love of God. And people sometimes have a negative view of marriage or a positive view of marriage. Uh, sometimes you talk to the wrong person, you might come away with a negative feeling about marriage. But, but really, marriage is such a wonderful and a beautiful thing that God has ordained. Amen. Amen. Now, not everybody thinks that. It's like the... the guy that was golfing with his buddy and they were standing out on the green uh, getting ready to, to putt and uh, as they were doing so 
a funeral procession went by and uh, his buddy was standing there and, and when the funeral procession went by, he just, he just dropped his putter, took off his hat, placed it over his heart and waited for the last car of the funeral procession to go by. And his friend was so just enamored by this. He said, you know, Bob, I didn't know you were such a respectful, such a sentimental guy. And he said, I, I, I'm really impressed by the honor you showed uh, as this procession went by. And the guy said, well, he said, it's the least I could do. I was married to her for 45 years. Said, least I could do. That's the wrong view of marriage. Amen. Marriage is a good thing. And it is between one man and one woman in holy matrimony. Praise God. And it is intended by God to illustrate the love that He has for His church. And so in marriage, God has wrapped up all of these unique experiences and principles that truly do teach us how to love and how to receive love and how to endure challenges in life. And God does this with many relationships in our world. When God institutes relationships, He does so with the intention of teaching us about Himself. So it's not just marriage that is an institution that God uses to illustrate His love, but, but every relationship has some level, some element uh, of the love of God resident in it and has a teaching quality. For instance, the Bible says, like a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And the Lord wants us to understand that that love that a parent has for their child, that that is the love of God that the parent is experiencing and that's the love of God that the child is receiving. And maybe that has not been your experience yet in life, and maybe you have not had children, uh, but, but there is a particular love that comes upon a mother and a father when they have their child. It's an amazing love because here comes this precious baby into the world, and this baby does not know them. This baby can, has done nothing for them. This, this baby has given them no compliment. Has, has uttered no words that would affirm them or validate them. There is no logical reason as to how this baby has earned the love of the mother and father, and yet the mother and father will do anything they can for that child because of the love they have for that child. And God is in the back of your mind whispering, that's how I see you. That's how I love you. Because he wants us to know he just does love us. And it's the love of a father. He described this love between siblings. That there's a special bond between siblings. And maybe you're an only child and have not had siblings. Or worse yet, maybe you do have siblings and you don't know what love I'm talking about between <laughs> siblings. But, but in the proper order of things, there is a real love between siblings. And, and the father puts that into place. And... And he says this, he says that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Because he wants us to understand that I want you to know what it's, I want you to know in this human relationship, I want you to catch little glimpses of deity. Now we are all fallen and we have a fallen nature in, in, outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And so we have all experienced the malfunction and the dysfunction of various relationships. But, but, but in God, these relationships are supposed to thrive. They will thrive if you really truly submit and surrender them to the Lord. And, and we must, as Christian believers, we must determine and dedicate ourselves to being what we need to be in those relationships. I need to be a good husband. I need to be a good father. I need to be a good friend. I need to be a good brother. I need to be a good Christian. I need to be a good employee or employer. I need to be a good, whatever I am, I need to be a good that. Now I know that's impossible in and of our flesh, but in God all things are possible. We surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. But people are depending on us really truly fulfilling these roles so that we can properly depict the love of God. So many people do not have a proper understanding about the love of God because somebody in these roles fell, messed up. Failed. They didn't, they didn't meet the expectation of these roles that these roles required. So it behooves us and it, it becomes our responsibility today to recognize that in these relationships we are teaching people about the love of God and we are learning about the love of God. And perhaps the most important of all the relationships that God placed in the earth, the very first human relationship He instituted was that of husband and wife. And, and, that, and that is the primary relationship. That is the first relationship. And when Paul wanted to teach us about the love of God, he explained it's, it's like when a husband loves his wife. In fact, he said, husbands, you've got to love your wife. And if you want to know how to love your wife, it's, it's like this. You love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. That's how you love your wife. And once that has established, then he moves on to the next statement saying, And wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And I know that in our world, that's a tough pill to swallow. But when the husband is loving the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, then that second part is quite, it becomes quite simple for her to submit unto him as unto the Lord. And he prefaces all of it by saying, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so it is a beautiful relationship. I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to tell you today that, that marriage is some kind of an arduous task, some kind of a drudgery, some kind of a begrudging relationship of life, the old ball and chain that people have talked about for generations. No, that's not what it is. It's a good thing. And it depicts the glory and the love and the power of God. And in that relationship... Primarily, and in many relationships you will learn these qualities, but in the marriage relationship I speak of primarily, you learn about how to love. And you learn about how to have empathy. And you learn about how to be humble. And you learn about how to forgive. And how to be forgiven. And how to forgive. And how to be forgiven. And then you learn how to forgive. And how to be forgiven. And a few years down the road, you'll learn how to forgive. And how to be forgiven. And you learn how to sacrifice. And you learn how to commit 
Hallelujah. For the long haul. You commit, you endure together. And you weep with one another and you rejoice with one another. It's a beautiful relationship. And it's, it's, it's enduring challenges together. And it's, it's celebrating milestones together. And this, this experience of two individuals that are uniquely handcrafted by God becoming one, that is an extraordinary task. And it is not possible in the flesh to do so without all sorts of problems. And, and so this is why so many marriages uh, fail to, to reach that place because one party or another will, will just simply not surrender themselves to the great love of God that makes it all possible. But I want you to know that when you surrender yourself to the love of God, you can live in the glorious grace of God in your home, in your marriage. You can love one another. You can have peace in your home. There can be joy in your soul. You learn how to love, how to show empathy, how to be empathetic, how to commit and sacrifice, be humble, forgive, how to trust one another. And it is a beautiful relationship. And God uses it to illustrate His love for His people. And He uses it how to illustrate how we can love others. I'm telling you, when you truly learn the love of God, you are such a benefit and a value to everybody in your orbit. Everybody in your world becomes better by knowing you because you are a person who knows how to love, how to be loved. You're healthy, you're trusting, you're strong, you're committed, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to be humble. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. I mentioned it already uh, in my opening remarks, but my wife and I are here today and we, this week at Winds, we had both our daughters, our son-in-law, our grandbaby, and we were all in the house of the Lord together with uplifted hands, worshiping God. And I, there's just no better thing in all the world than that. And I just feel so blessed by what God has done. And, and it makes every challenge that we overcame, it makes it worth it. It makes it worth every struggle and every trial. Every time that we had to put our shoulder to the plow. Every time we wept together. Every time that we had to lean on God together. It makes it worth it. It's a good thing. If you're struggling today and you and you're not and you're hearing what I'm saying and the word of the Lord is coming to you but you but you're struggling to believe I want you to know press on through this difficult season of your life and come out on the other side rejoicing you'll be thankful one day I said you'll be thankful one day that you didn't call it quits you'll be thankful one day that you stood the test of time you'll be thankful one day that you held on to God's unchanging hand Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says that your children are like olive plants around your table. And, and that's exactly right. They just are growing and they're fruitful and they're blessed of the Lord. And, and one day you, you wake up and you, you're sitting there and you're looking around at all these blessings of God. And, and you think, Where did, when did this start happening? I, I'm just amazed at what God has done. He was doing it while you were trusting Him. He was doing it while you were leaning on Him. He was doing it while you were coming to the house of God. Instead of throwing in the towel. He was doing it while you were choosing 
choosing to love your spouse and forgive your spouse and be humble before your spouse instead of becoming sarcastic and cynical and angry all the time. Yeah, that's when God was doing it. He was blessing your family, your home, your life. And it is such a good thing. I love Acts 2.38 Then Peter said unto them Repent and be baptized every one of you In the name of Jesus Christ For the remission of sins And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost But I also love Acts 2.39 For the promises unto you And to your children And to all that are far off Even as many as the Lord our God shall call I, I love it I love that this is for me And for my children And my grandchildren And great grandchildren children should the Lord tarry. I love that we have so much to look forward to in the kingdom and the blessing of the Lord. It's a good thing. Don't let the world tell you different. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. Listen, don't, you need to stop letting all of these people that are so dysfunctional and have all of these hang-ups and have all of these problems tell you how to live your life. Misery loves company. They just, they just don't want to be the only ones miserable. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be miserable because of the bad choices that they made. My Bible tells me, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn. Praise God. I, I, I was telling Dr. Myers yesterday, I'm so thankful for the work she does for the kingdom of God. I'm so grateful for, for that, that, that gift of counseling that she brings to the body of Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 says, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, his name shall be called Counselor, his name shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Do you know why you're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? Because the Lord said, counsel is mine. Counsel is God's. And when the world tries to handle what is God's, they mess it all up. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Counsel belongs to the Lord. Praise God. Blessed are those who, who have taken the time to prepare themselves for that gift of bringing counseling to the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good, good thing. When I look at the story of Hosea, this passage of Scripture that we've read from Hosea chapter 8, this prophet of God is such a unique prophet. His ministry is so unique. His anointing, his calling is so unique. The way that God just... The way that God just assigned a task to him is honestly, it's, it's terrifying to look at, but so unique and, and, and what a ministry that he had. And, and, and God would do that. He would assign certain tasks to certain prophets and, and they weren't always easy and the prophets didn't always like them. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and that was the last thing he wanted to do. And, and he, of course, the whole story unfolds where that he disobeyed, ended up in a whale's belly, ended up vomited on dry land, ended up doing what God originally called him to do and he might as well and should have done it to begin with. But, but the tasks are not always what we expect them to be. And for Hosea, this was certainly true. Hosea was called of God to marry a woman by the name of Gomer. And Gomer was not a good woman. She was unfaithful to him. 
She broke his heart time after time. And yet God told him, go and marry Gomer. You go and marry that woman. And, and so Hosea obeys the Lord and marries Gomer. And life was utterly miserable because she was so unfaithful to him. And she broke his heart so many times. But you have to understand, God needed a prophet to speak to the nation of Israel. And he needed a prophet that could speak to Israel with the same pain that the Lord had concerning Israel. Because the Lord could look upon Israel in much the same way Hosea looked upon Gomer. And God said, the prophet I call, I need you to speak with my pain. I need you to speak with my heartache. I need Israel to hear what's going on in my heart concerning their spiritual adultery. And the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. And I want you to know He is a jealous God. He is so jealous that the Bible says His name is jealousy. Somebody asked me one time, they said, they said, what, what do you mean God is a jealous God? If, if God is jealous, how does that even make sense? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's true, He, he does own the cattle on a thousand hills. The whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But you misunderstand, he's not an envious God, he's a jealous God. There's a difference between envy and jealousy. He's not envious in the sense that he wants some toy that somebody else has that he wishes he has because he doesn't have it and he wants it. That's not the kind of expression or emotion that we're talking about. He's a jealous God and he's jealous in this sense. He knows the thoughts that he has for Israel. He knows the intent that He has for His people. He knows that He wants to heal them and to save them and to deliver them and to redeem them. He knows the power and the peace and the joy and the glory that He has for His people. And then to watch His people just cast off the thing that is good and walk over to some idol who has eyes but cannot see, has ears but cannot here has hands but cannot heal and bow themselves down in obeisance to that idol and the whole time their life spirals further and further into disarray further and further into turmoil and all the while the God who created them and the God who loves them and the God who'll do anything for them stands there with healing in his wings, stands there with wholesome words to speak to their broken heart. That's when God gets jealous when you worship Baal, but Baal can't save you. When you worship Molech, but Molech can't save you. And his God, the Savior of all mankind. And he looks upon the creation that he created, that whose words he, he used his words to speak them into existence. And here they are. They reject him over and over and the pain was real and his name is jealousy. His name is this. I am. I am. 
That's my name. And my name has undertones of jealousy in it. If you listen real close to his name, you will hear it. I am. And there is none other. I, even I am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. Listen to his name. And his name denotes and connotes jealousy. The Lord is my salvation. Nobody else is my salvation. Jehovah is my salvation. His name is Jesus. I am, he said, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the door to the sheepfold. If somebody tries to climb up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. I am. I am. He's a jealous God. And don't kid yourself. He's jealous over whatever it is you spend too much time on. He's jealous over whatever it is dividing your devotion. He's jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Oh, he has so many good things to give you. Oh, it's such a good thing. But, but Israel has cast off the good thing. And so, Hosea, I, I, need, I need you to do something for me. Could you please? Could you experience in a microcosm what I experience every day? Please. I, I've anointed you and I know you had a different idea of what ministry would be like. But, but really what I need you to do is I, I need your heart to break because my heart is broken. I need you to, I need you to, I need you to be jealous because I'm jealous. I need you to feel what it feels like to be rejected because I'm rejected. And then I need you to open up your mouth. And I need that tinge of God's jealousy to come through your mouth and tell Israel, Israel, you have cast off the thing, the good thing that God wants to give you. you you just cast it aside like it's unwanted garbage. Did you do that for me, Hosea? Can I tell you that every trial of life and trial of faith, every piece of suffering that you've experienced, can I tell you that God can use that to let you feel His heart? And when you start truly feeling His heart, you will have compassion for other people. How many have found that in your walk with God, when you've experienced suffering, you developed a compassion for people you didn't have before you started suffering? Am I the only one who used to be hard and calloused and, and, and uncaring? Am I the only one? Or is there anybody here who remembers in your moment of brokenness, your heart softened for your brother or your sister and you realize, oh, they've been going through something I never even knew that they were experiencing. That's God doing for you what He did with Hosea. Hosea, come near to me so I can have you experience something that will let you feel my pain and put you in relationship with your brother and sister and help them with their pain. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so, so God institutes this marriage relationship as a good thing. And there's going to be a lot of, of, of challenges within it, but, but stick with it. It's a good thing. Dr. Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. And in this book, The Five Love Languages, he, he, he brings out this 
groundbreaking concept. Is anybody familiar with the five love languages, the, 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 the concept? It's an amazing concept because what, what Dr. Chapman brings out in this is he deduces that, that all mankind, all humanity, basically has five love languages. And that the, 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 these, are, these are, are true of, of every person just about. That, that your, your love language will fit somewhere on the spectrum of these five love languages. And he calls it a language because like language, it can be a, a means of communication or it can be a barrier to communication. Like language, you can be saying something, but if someone doesn't understand that language, they don't know what you're saying and vice versa. So he's, he expresses that if you have a particular love language that another person does not have, then you, you could be saying to them, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you! And they could look at you and think you're saying, you know, wah, 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 blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And, and, and you don't understand why they just won't receive your love. And it's because they don't understand your, the language you're speaking. And meanwhile, they're looking at you saying, I love you, I love you. And, and, and the vicious cycle continues. So he breaks it down to these five love languages and says that, that, that really we all fall somewhere on the spectrum of five love languages. And, and, uh, and in this, if we, can, if we can know our love language and pay attention and be sensitive to the love language of our spouse, our friends, our family, then we can start to understand how to express love to somebody. And we can start to understand when someone is expressing love to us. It's, a, it's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. It's like, a, it's like it, it like broke the whole thing down. It was like a cheat code almost. And you're like, wow, this, I, I, can really, I can really communicate love to people now. I can let them, let them know I love them. And I can know when they're telling me they, that they love me. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. But it's interesting because he, he, after years of experience and years of observation, he began to break this down and say that these five love languages really do apply to each and every individual somewhere on the spectrum they fall. And, and when you look at the love languages, one is gift giving, one is physical touch, one is acts of service, words of affirmation, and quality time. And as I began to look at these love languages, I started, I started realizing something. I said to myself, that makes sense. That makes sense because, because those are God's love languages. And we are made in the image of God. And so the reason that these are our love languages, it's because they're His love languages. And so if we can start understanding how God expresses love, and we can start expressing love to God, it's going to change your whole life. It's going to change your whole world. Because your God loves you with an everlasting love. That first love language of gift giving, and my wife can tell you that's my least, I'm a zero on the scale when it regards gift giving. And I've had to work on that because if somebody's a gift giver and they, and they show their love by giving gifts, they could give me a beautiful extravagant gift and I'm like, thank you, I appreciate that. God bless you, that's very nice of you, I appreciate it. I'll open it next week, you know. It's, and they're trying to tell me that, oh no, I, but I love you. Didn't you hear me say it? I have had to, I've had to recalibrate and understand what they're saying and, and then understand how I can express that love back to them. 
in a way that they can translate it and interpret it. And, and that's the way God expresses His love, is through the giving of gifts. I've quoted it once. I'm going to quote it again just because I like to quote it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. I want you to know, you know what the gift of the Holy Ghost is like? One of those gifts that you open up, it's like in a big box. But when you open up that box, there's another box. And you open up that box and there's another box. It's like a big box that has a lot of gifts inside of it. Because when you get the Holy Ghost, He's going to give you the gift of faith and the gift of healing and the gift of the working of miracles and the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. And He's going to give you, oh, hallelujah, gifts of administration, gifts of government give some help every good and every perfect gift coming down from the father of lights in whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning hallelujah the gifts of God and I'm going to tell you the gifts and calling God are without repentance ah, he just gives them uh, gives them freely you have received freely give he gave it to you you need to give he gave you love give love he gave you peace give peace he gave you grace give grace he gave you joy give joy he's a giving God he'll give you the Holy Ghost right now he'll give you the Holy Ghost this morning you don't have to wait for a special time he loves you and he wants to give to you everything that you need he's a giver of gifts hallelujah hallelujah God has the love language of physical touch I'm thankful. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know we walk by faith and not by sight, but I can feel his presence. How many walked into this house? How many right now can feel something? Hallelujah. I'm, you know what? I'll walk by faith when I have to. He gives me the ability, thank God, to walk when I don't feel it. How many have been there when you didn't feel it? And God said, no, I need you to just walk by faith. But oh, I'm thankful for every time he lets me feel. Woo! Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. Sometimes it'll be like chill bumps up and down your spine. Sometimes the hair in your arms will stand up on end. You're feeling the physical touch of God. No, this is not a dead, dry religion. This is something you can feel. This is something you can experience. Because he loves you that you can feel him. Uh, glory. Glory. Hallelujah. 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 
One of God's love expressions is the, is the expression and language of acts of service. <laughs> An act of God's service. He's a serving God. Hallelujah. I want you to know that when he came down into this earth, he did not take upon himself the form of a magistrate. He did not take upon himself the form of a king. He is the king, but he didn't take upon himself the form of a king. He didn't take upon himself the form of a governor. He didn't take upon himself the form of a billionaire. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He said, you want to know who is the greatest of all? I'll tell you who is the greatest of all. He that is servant to all is the greatest of all. If you want to know who is the chiefest in the room, it's the servant. And when the disciples were trying to figure out, oh, who's going to wash somebody's feet? Because you know what? I don't want to be the first one to grab a towel because then I'd be subservient to Bartholomew. And Philip will think that he owns me. And Thomas will think he's better than me. And and I'm not going to grab that. Jesus, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the I am that I am, the good shepherd, Zion's righteous governor. Jesus, Jehovah in flesh, give me the towel. You give me the towel. I'm the servant in this room because I'm the chiefest of... I know how we see it. I know how we look at it. Here's how we look at it. We think, well, yeah, of course he was a servant. For three and a half years, he was a really good servant. And he went about doing good. And, and he was a servant to all for three and a half years just to show everybody how, how modest and humble and meek and lowly he was. And then he died. And then he was buried. And then he rose from the dead. And then he ascended on high. And now he's the biggest and the greatest. And he is the biggest. And he is the greatest. And he is the king of all kings. But what you're missing is this. Servanthood is his majesty. He didn't stop being a servant just because he's the king. Servanthood is his glory. I know that doesn't compute with us because our world is flipped around because everything is different than what it should be. We don't think servanthood is much of anything. We think it's the lowest. But Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. When you serve, you're doing the most noble thing. He's still a servant. He's still a servant. I know, I know, I know he's the greatest of all. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. But he's still a servant. If you don't believe me, just try it. Call on him. Call on him. Call his name. Call his name. Call his name. I'm going to tell you, when you call his name, he'll come riding upon the wings of the wind. He'll come to wherever you are and say, how can I bless you? How can I help? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I heal you? The greatest is the servant of all. That's not an earthly principle. That's an eternal principle. Oh, God. Oh, oh, I know that we serve Him. Don't get me wrong. I know we serve Him. But who do you think taught us how to serve? 
Yeah, we serve the Lord. With gladness we serve the Lord. But who do you think taught us how to serve? Why? Because acts of service are His love language. It's a good thing. It's a good, good, good thing. You know, you know, what, his, you know what His love language is? Words of affirmation. Oh, He loves those. He loves those. But let me explain something to you. Let me tell you something. God receiving praise. How many know God loves praise? Well, let me explain something to you. God is not, He doesn't love praise because He's so, like He's some egomaniac. More, 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 give me more. No, that's not what's happening. No, He loves praise because He knows what praise does for us. He loves praise because he knows, Brother Jude, when I start praising him, I come up out of my pit of despair. He loves praise because he knows when I start praising him, I trample on the lion and the adder. When I start praising him, I subdue principalities and powers. When I start praising him, I have victory and authority and dominion. That's why he loves praise. Glory. It's the age-old problem. What do you get for the guy who has everything? I, we never know what to get our parents for birthdays and Christmas because they have everything they've ever wanted. And so we don't know what to give them because they, well, they don't need anything. My parents are having garage sale and yard sales. And, and they're, they're, you know, y'all come to the house and take everything you want and take it home with you. They're just trying to get rid of things. They've got so much accumulated over the years. And they're trying to just get rid of it and, and I said Lord what do you get the person who has everything and I felt like the Lord just said to me you give them praise I started realizing it meant more to my parents than for me to get them some little bobblehead doll for Christmas it meant more to them for me to say mom and dad thank you thank you for everything you've done it meant more some commemorative Something that commemorated the dedication of their life, the devotion that, that means so much to us. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for sticking with it. Thank you for loving us when we weren't lovable. Thank you. Thank you for lifting our head when we're head hung low. Thank you for being there when we were broken down. That, that's what they want and that's what God wants. What do you have that God will get use out of? I'll tell you what He wants. He wants your prayer. Words of affirmation, words of affirmation. I love you. You're holy. You're wonderful. You're mighty. You're excellent. There's nobody like you. You're the great I am. You're the greatest of all. And that's, and that's not just how he interprets love. That's also how he expresses love. And nobody can affirm you like God can affirm you. Pastor Myers, if some well-meaning soul, bless their hearts, ever comes to me with a compliment, and I, and I hear their compliment, and I'm so thankful. I love compliments. That's probably not a good thing, but oh, they're such a blessing. And, and yet, when I hear a compliment, I have to know in the back of my mind, but they don't know me. Their compliment is, is so sweet and kind, 
but, but, but it, it can't be taken at face value because they don't know me well enough to judge what they just said. So they can't walk up to me and say, you're, you're this and that and all these glowing terms. And, and I can't take that and say, oh, well, now that's the truth. Oh, they said it. Amen. I can't do that because I know they don't know me well enough to be the judge of that. And if they did know me, they probably wouldn't be saying all those nice things. And the opposite is true. The critic who comes up and says, that Joelers is nothing but a low-down, good-for-nothing, dirty, rotten scoundrel. They're probably closer to reality than what the other folks, the other guy was. But, 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 but they don't know me either. And they can't be the judge of that either because they don't know me well enough to say that about. So I can't be brought down by criticism and I can't be puffed up by flattery because neither group knows me, but he knows me. And he knows everything. He knows stuff about me I don't know. He knows my thoughts. He knows why I thought the thought. He knows the intent of my heart. And when he gets down in my ear and whispers, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. My God have mercy. Now that means something. He looks across the spectrum of all my brokenness and says, Good job. Oh, there's nothing more affirming than the Word of God. He doesn't have opinions. He only has truth. Words of affirmation. You know one of God's, you know one of God's love languages is quality time. You know what I'm talking about. All the quality timers in the house know what I'm talking about. Those of you who scored a 155 on the quality time love language score. I don't think you can go higher than a 10, but you know what I'm saying. Undivided. Undivided. Put the phone down. Put the paper down. Power off. Undivided. Not letting your mind wander a million different places. Undivided. Oh, he loves that quality time. Hallelujah. You know, I know it's Monday night and Monday night football is going on, but it's date night. Turn it off. Undivided. Undivided. Yeah, yeah. See, you see, you have to understand, God, that's His love language. That's why He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. That's why the Lord is a very present help in the time of trouble. That's why, lo, He is with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's why you can ascend up into heaven and He's there. You can make your bed in hell and behold, He's there! Because He loves you and He expresses that love with quality time. Hallelujah. Yeah, quality time. Pastor Myers said it this week at Winds Conference. We were getting ready to dismiss. The Holy Ghost was hovering over us. 
just like a mist in this room. I felt like if I, I felt like if I, if I looked up a little bit, I'd see a holy haze. And, and he said he was leaving the sanctuary the other day and he was going to continue to do business as he would normally do it. And he felt the Lord just stop him and say, don't leave. Could you just linger in my presence for a little while? Could you please just linger in my presence for just a moment? And, and he, he did. And, and he said, God wants us to just linger in his presence. That, that quality, 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 quality time. It's, it's such a good thing. Hallelujah. David said it this way. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. What, what a statement. Can you narrow it all down to one thing? One thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. David's talking. I wonder what it is. Is it is that one thing to slay giants? Is it to slay lions and bears to be the greatest king of all? Is it to be the to, to have the wisdom to lead Israel? Is it to, is it to show up every other nation in the in the world? What, what is the one thing he would desire of the Lord? And he said, I, I desire one thing, that will I seek after, and this is it, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Hallelujah. Why? Is there, is there a million bucks stashed somewhere that you're trying? No, no, no. No, this is the only reason. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That's, that's all I want. You can have the money. You can, you can have the songs written about you. You, you can have all the fame. You, you can have all the history written about you. The only thing I really, really, really want is to dwell in the house of of the Lord all the days of my life to behold His beauty and to inquire in His temple. Quality time, quality time, quality time, quality, quality time. Brother J.T. Pugh, one of the greatest preachers who had ever preached the gospel, Brother J.T. Pugh, he and his wife, Sister Pugh, were well into their 80s and Sister Pugh sadly developed Parkinson's disease. She required around-the-clock care. They had been together for so many decades, years. And, and Brother Pugh, this world-famous preacher who was in demand, traveling every week, stopped his schedule. And six days out of every week, he cared for his wife. Well into their 80s. She suffered with Parkinson's disease. And Brother Pugh cared for her every Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And on Saturday, he would take his day of rest and try to replenish his own body and strengthen himself. As time went on, his, his hearing left and he could no longer hear. And, and as it did, he, he realized that, that she would wake up in the night and have need and he would not be able to help her with her needs. So he tied a string around his wrist and he tied the other end of the string around her wrist so that when she would wake up in the middle of the night and her body would be convulsing and, and her, her need was very manifest, she would pull that string and when she did, it would pull his arm and he would, he would feel it and he would wake up. And he would see to his wife and help her. Yeah. Because they had such a long and happy and beautiful life together. 
not void of challenges, just, just beautiful. And then Brother Pew died. Sister Pew was the one who was ill, but Brother Pew was the one who passed away. And it was shocking. He just passed away. And suddenly, the grief was so overwhelming for Sister Pew that she, she just couldn't get over it. And the, the next day after his passing, she was just beside herself. Her children came to comfort her and said, Mom, it's okay. We're here for you. We'll, we'll take care of you. Dad loved you and he taught us to love you. And it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. You, you're not going to be destitute. We're here for you. And, and to that she responded, No, you don't understand. She said, JT and I, we had a good thing going. The next morning she didn't wake up. She just went on into the presence of God. And a few days later, they had a double funeral for brother and sister Pew. It was a good thing they had going. God wants to give His bride such a good thing. He wants to give you a good thing of peace, but you just, you just keep casting it aside. He wants to give you a good thing of love, but you just keep casting it aside. He, he wants to give you a good thing of joy, but you just keep casting it. Keep going back to what He delivered you from. But oh, if you could hear Him call to you. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, 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 my love, my fair one, and come away. If you could hear the voice of God right now, that's what He would be saying to you. Come away. Come away into my presence. Let me give you a good thing. Let me give you a good, good thing. Could you lift your hands with me in this house right now? Oh. Come on all across this house. Could you just lift up your voice unto the Lord. Huh? <laughs> I wonder if somebody would be willing to come spend some quality time in His presence. I, I wonder if somebody would be willing to bring words of affirmation with you. I wonder. If somebody would be willing to feel the physical touch of God. Is there anybody that would bring him a gift of contrition? He doesn't want the bulls and the goats. He, he wants the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Those are the gifts he, re, he receives. Oh Hallelujah.
Come on, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Come, there's a good thing waiting for you. There's a good thing waiting for you. There's such a good thing. It's, it's so good. Whatever you've been wrestling with, whatever you've been frustrated with, come on, step away from it. Hear the words of Hosea the prophet. Come away from idols. Come away into the good thing of God. Arise, my fair one, my love, and come away.
time, all my life. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing.
What a great word from Pastor Urshan. You can stay as long as you want. But let's just remember, wherever we go, let's just bask in the knowledge that God loves us. Amen. God bless you.